What's up, party people? Thanks for downloading our podcast. You can check out more of our episodes at thisamericanhorrorstory.com or on iTunes. Hello and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast for the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with Christopher Houston. What's up, party people? We miss you. We do miss you, and it was a long break, and we apologize for not having that bonus episode we promised, but you know what? Things got caught up and busy, and I have to be honest with you right now. I am not drinking anything tonight, Chris. I am not because I am trying to um, ease back a little bit. I was out celebrating my Oregon Ducks uh, playing tonight in the Fiesta Bowl and kicking the ass of Kansas State, and so I. <laughs> so, I'm in a, so you're I'm drunk. Oh, uh, I don't. Well, <laughs> I don't know if we would say that, but I'm not drinking anything right now. How about yourself? I am drinking a beer. Uh, it is the India Pale Ale brewed here, right here in Missouri, right near the Missouri River, and it's by Piney River, and it is my favorite IPA I've had in a long time. Chris, tell us why you're celebrating tonight, because we all want to hear why Chris Houston is celebrating tonight. Oh, thanks, man. Um, my uh, story, uh, uh, my my story was just featured on uh, NPR's All Things Considered, so. I'm pretty stoked today. Uh, I was my my news story was nationally broadcast, so I'm stoked. That's right. I want everybody to let this sink in for a second. My co-host had his story, his radio story, broadcast on national radio all across the nation, and so this is a big deal that you're getting here, listening to his voice give you uh, input on our favorite show here. And so I want you, I, I want you all to appreciate that for a second before we dive in. Oh, thanks, bro. And. You are very welcome, and now we are going because this episode was fucking amazing! Amazing. It was so good. It was it so was, good. It was so good. And I have to say right now, I do not have as many notes as I normally do, and I think the reason for that being, I was caught up watching it. I like, I just got into the episode, and it, like I had to force myself to go back to the paper and write shit down, you know? <laughs> I agree. For once, I was like not... Like, I, I was trying to take notes, but then the, the, during the entire time, I was just so caught up in it. I agree. It was amazing. It was so good. It was so this, fun. It was fun. It was fun. What do you think? I mean, let's 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 venture out here before we even break down things. Compared to other episodes, how does this hold up? This one was completely different than everything else. I, I, I want to put it um, basically – so everything we've seen this uh, – uh, this, um, uh, series so far has been pretty dark, a little deep, a little disturbing, even a little A morose. lot of layers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was the first episode where I was not necessarily going into it wanting to be scared, but got into it thinking about deep, dark stuff. But also, I just had so much fun with it. And, and obviously, I want to pinpoint it to one scene specifically that was just so goddamn fun. I cannot wait to talk about that scene, but I just want to say that I think, okay, I am, fr- okay, we, we both agreed that I Am Frank Part 2 was, a, or I Am Man Frank Part 2 was a really good episode. That was our, fa- Amazing. I think together, that was our favorite episode of the season so far. 
Yes. I think that this episode was the best episode of the season so far, and, and I and that was a great episode, and I right. think this was better. I'm right. I don't want to. Okay, well let's let's wait to talk about scores until the end here. But I I you got you just wait for this. <clears throat> I've got a lot to say. I am excited to talk about it. So let's dive right in here. Let's do it. So let's talk about the beginning. We start out with. You know, we kind of start out where we left off. You know, Kit's still on the operating table. They just were using, you know, Arden was using this as a strategy to draw the aliens in, and it worked, and we see pregnant Grace and everything. And, of course, Kit lives, which we kind of anticipated. Um, Grace is alive. Her, you know, the pregnancy that she has has repaired her bullet wound. And now, what do you think? We see a very interesting scene at the beginning here with a character... That has been around for a while, but we haven't really thought about it too much. And I am talking about Pepper. Pepper. <laughs> what is the deal with Pepper? Where she? I mean, what do you think here? I know we got a little tease of the cliffhanger for the hiatus of Pepper being with Grace, and I, you know, Pepper was one of the the obviously visually uh, um, char- visual characters that we were curious about because she looked very different than everyone else. No judgment there. But we finally get to know a little bit more about her. Not her backstory, per se, but just more of like what her role is in, in Briarcliff. Absolutely. And I would like to go ahead and say, I, I feel like they teased us with this. Because I think it's so cool that they had this character that we just thought was peripheral the entire time. And all of a sudden, she's playing a more major role. And right. I, I want to encourage everybody to go and Google Google Pepper and look up what she looks like as an actress because she is really pretty. They made her look pretty hideous and ridiculous for this role. And right. So, I mean, it's very different. It's interesting. Right. They actually, I think if you go on AmericanHorrorStory.com or something like that, they actually have the makeup sequence they go through to get her to look like that. Exactly. And I think the transformation is really interesting. But here we have Pepper as the sort of protector for Grace who is – now, let, let, let's give up some theories here because I'm not quite sure where we're going exactly. We know the aliens are somehow involved. Is this Kit and Grace's baby? What is the – you know, we see this baby later on. What is – what exactly is, is – or do you think is Pepper protecting here? Right. Well, that, that's the interesting thing. Like, so we know – well, we know apparently according to Pepper and according to Grace and according to Threatson that this is Kit's baby. And Kid is also very perplexed with this, like, who, how did this happen? This is impossible. How did this happen so quickly? And how is she still alive? Confused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. First of all, yeah, I know. He he took it a little, I mean, obviously he was, like, you know, disturbed and, and, and confused. But, like, first of all, not only that this is his baby, but, like, whoa, 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 girl, you're still alive? That was a lot to take in in a very short period of time. Not only is she alive, she's yeah. had his child. Yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're alive? <laughs> it it was nuts. And this opening scene was nuts, too, where you have Pepper, who Arden is trying to, like, see what this thing is. He's going to x-ray it. He's going to cut it open. No. He's not getting anything done here. Pepper makes his scalpel fly across the room. He's not going to get his x-rays done. She has some sort of strange superpower. She's all of a sudden coherent. He kind of tries to mock her and make her see it like culture a parrot or something. I don't think that's true. I think that she all of a sudden is is a coherent voice of the aliens. She's the voice of the aliens, in my opinion. What do you think? Well, that, that, that that's interesting because she did say, I, I think she said this, but 
she was kind of given the um the the gift of coherent speech if you will mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that, that this happened to her and she has been charged with taking care of grace that was her responsibility that she tells us in in the show so that the whole alien thing as far as as we go through the show we'll know a lot of mysteries get revealed but that is one mystery that we're still in the, in in the dark with so i you know i i don't i don't know what her role is going to be yet i'm very thrilled that she is becoming a a, a a a character that's come to the forefront but i still have no idea what her real role is and i don't know why grace is still alive and i don't know what the deal with the baby is the only thing for this episode is it sh- it's a it's a ploy to get Kit to do things, uh, reveal um, the location of that tape that uh, threats and after. So a- as far as this episode, we have no- we have no effing idea. It's true, it's true. But I do want to say right here that I am thrilled that we are finally getting somewhere with this alien plot. Because for Thank so long, God. <laughs> it's, you know, we talked about this in past episodes. It just felt like this plot was lagging and lagging. And I loved the whole Eunice thing. I loved the devil thing. But I felt like this alien plot was such a side, weird um, right. thing that was, it was just getting not dragged on for so long. It was time that this moved forward. So I'm excited that that's where this is going. And we'll talk about this more as the episode progresses. Um, so I thought that scene was really good. Now, let's talk about another big... I mean, it wasn't a surprise because this was kind of previewed in the future episodes, which I kind of wish it wasn't because it was. It would have been a huge deal otherwise. The Monsignor is alive. The Monsignor survived. A lot of people survived things that we thought they would be dead with, which would not have happened in the in the previous season. This season, people can survive death and live on. Uh, the, the previous season, people did not survive, but they became ghosts. So these people are still, like, alive. So, mm-hmm. well, so to refresh everyone's memory, the Monsignor was crucified in crucified. the last episode. Crucified. By Crazy Santa. And I think it's important to remember that kind of going through because this has sort of transformed him. Which oh, no. There we go. And we're back. <clears throat> Okay, so what I'm saying here is Monsignor is alive. He was crucified by Crazy Santa in the last episode, right? Um, we see a new dynamic here. We see... we In this scene, it's just very subtle at the beginning. We know where it goes later. Eunice is sexual... Like, she's removing his shoes, and it's like a very sexual scene, and we get that weird music in the background. It's kind of some foreshadowing of where we're going here. The Monsignor is clearly being tested. Um, but we get a little bit of a flashback of what happened when, after he was crucified. Because we saw the angel of death visit him. We kind of thought he was going to die. But the angel of death told him that there was more work to be done by him. That it was going to be his job to remove the devil that was inside Sister Eunice. Um, right. Frances Conroy doing that was awesome, by the way. She, she's great as the angel of death. And I thought the Monsignor, this was his best episode so far, I think, as far as... Absolutely. You know, showing emotion and just arranging everything. And, and she told him that the rosary would guard his thoughts from Sister Eunice. I'm not sure that it actually did. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk about what happens later. Anyway, I think this is a big deal um, that the Monsignor had a bigger role. What did you feel about the Monsignor's bigger role in this episode? I was happy because he was one of those characters that was pegged as one of the stars of the show. So we knew we would, you know, hopefully get to him eventually. And then this is the finally the final episode where we get to, you know, get into under his skin a little bit and know 
what makes him tick besides what Jude showed us with him in the previous episodes. So we already knew he was ambitious, but we didn't know what his insecurities were, and we didn't know things, you know, you know about, well, you know, sex, essentially. <laughs> he, he's been such a bland character up until this point. I think it was really interesting. That right, he was one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. I think it was interesting. We finally kind of saw some layers to him, and I think that was important to kind of dig a little bit deeper. Um, but let's, con- I mean, we'll talk about that as uh, a little bit later on. So, you know, other important events that happened in this episode, obviously the jukebox in the common room that is bought by Sister The jukebox Eunice. is the best thing to happen to this show. The, oh my God. The impetus for quite possibly the best scene we've seen so far in the show. Um, God bless Sister Eunice and, or the devil. So No, don't God bless the devil. Sorry. So, so let's see. <laughs> the, the song that Sister Eunice plays dedicated to... Mrs. Uh, Judy... Judy Martin. Judy Martin is I Put a Spell on You. Great song. I love that song. But... What... Beautiful. So why this song, Chris? Why do you think? Oh, boy. Well, you know, I, I think... Uh, that, that's a bad question for me. I haven't thought about this too much. I, I the, 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 My reason is... The last time I thought about this song was Halloween last year. And the previous time I thought about that song was... During Hocus Pocus, which was a Disney Channel movie when I was, you know, you know, 12 years old. Excellent movie. Excellent movie. I'll give you Excellent that Excellent movie. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. But making, what I, I'm a hello embarrassed right now. But what I do want to say about this – okay. I, th- I think it's – I think it's – I mean, to me it seems pretty evident that this is – Sister Eunice is mocking Sister Jude. This is her – she's – trying to destroy sister jude physically and mentally in this episode and this is you know obviously sister jude had dominique going and cracked it last time this is kind of this song is meant to just kind of be this modern um song that is supposed to just kind of rub it in jude's face that this that the not only is the sanatorium changing, but this evil demon is kind of in, in power all of a sudden. And the Jude is lost, and that's right. kind of what Eunice is trying to rub into Jude's She's face, bringing you know? it into the whole rock and roll era type thing, and that is clearly not what you know Catholicism would have, or how how Catholicism would dictate a place like this run by um, you know God essentially. It was definitely a culture clash, and this—I mean, this whole season has kind of been about cultures clashing and stuff like that. And I think this is just kind of another absolutely representation of that. And it's—I mean, so much going on. Um, I, were you thinking Dominique Banana Fana Phenomenique? <laughs> too soon, too soon, too soon. Sorry. We'll get. <laughs> we will get there, and we will get there good and hard. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> and we'll get there good. <laughs> so I want, one thing I do want to bring up is we have this scene between Threadson and Kit and Lana. You know, Lana and Kit are reunited. Yeah. They go sit down, and then Threadson enters. He tells them that he's been offered a full-time job by Sister Eunice. He pretty much right, – wait, 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 Rewind real quick, sorry. When Threadson is walking in during um, uh, the I, I Put a Spell on You – that was so stylized cinematography wise. Like it was like slow mo. Like I, I I've just seen Django and Chain, so like I'm really like oh, feeling that Tarantino, like the slow mo when stuff happens and and threads him walking in exactly when Lana like mentions him or does not want him to you know, obviously what happened to him and he walks in, she's like, Oh shit. Beautiful. This scene, this mm-hmm. this dial 
the dialogue in this scene between Kit Lana Threadson was very sharp. It was, I thought it was, uh, I mean, you're kind of talking that, Tar- you know, you're kind of in that Tarantino group. This, this dialogue was Tarantino-esque. It was just, it was very sharp. It was, sharp uh, you know, smart. Threadson moves the ashtray just as Lana says, it's a good thing you moved that ashtray because it's going to bash your brains in. And Threadson says, I know you were, that's why I moved it. <laughs> <laughs> And then we're talking here about the baby, Lana's um, unfortunately still alive demon child, who we know later to be Johnny, a.k.a. Bloodyface Jr., a.k.a. Dylan yep. McDermott. A.k.a. Dylan McDermott. We know that Threadson is hired full-time now. <laughs> exactly. The man of many names. We know that um, Threadson has been hired full-time. That it was Eunice to let him free. That he's going to start continuing treatment with Kit and Lana. I mean, this is a bad position for them to be in. Let's be honest here. I, I did find that was very interesting, though, that Eunice was the one that let him free and hired him. Obviously, she loves this. Like, as we've talked about, like, she's just like teenage demon or devil. And she just loves this chaos and just this free-willing, like, free-spirited. Which I think parallels what happens in the 60s slash later 60s as well with this free spirited uh um philosophy and mentality that a lot of people you know would stop whatever Mm -hmm. i agree with you i agree with you and i think that this is an interesting episode because i think we're seeing threadson aka bloody face move into the place of primary baddie i mean we'll get there but he's kind of becoming the focal point of our i mean he's been gross and terrible uh, up until now awful but we've we've had a lot of characters that were evil and terrible but i kind of feel like he's going to be the folk i mean he kind of has to be the focus of these next few episodes so we'll see where that goes um other interesting things that happen um sister jude has been found to be masturbating with a cucumber so we but she wasn't that was a plan i'm certain that's a plan don't you think I I kind of thought that too. I mean, she kind of played a little bit of masturbating. But may, I don't you, know. Maybe no, it was just supposed to represent that. I don't know what they were going with there. If, like, is Sister Jude? Are we are we supposed to think that like Sister Jude is just like she's free now and she's given up the the yeah. shackles of the Catholic Church here? That's a good or question. Or she just kind of play? Or is she just playing whipping boy and she's going to take what she gets and she's going to yeah. battle through and she's going to win it all in the end? You know. That's that's a good question because I, I I took it as like clearly she's gonna walk in there I mean clearly Eunice is gonna walk in there and plant something and just like punish Jude because that is what she is there apparently to do slash stir up chaos but you know that you I agree with you kind of in the point with Jude might be in that point where or at that point where she's like get you know I'm gonna do what I want to do obviously we know Jude likes sex she likes booze so. That's what she's doing. So maybe she actually was. I don't know. I th- it is probably beside the point, but that's that's. I'm interested with that. It's something to consider. Is, is this is this yeah. a representation of a free Jude? You know what I mean. And I think we see that more manifest coming right. up here. Um, but this is kind of just Eunice's episode, and I think this is the climax of the Eunice story, where she's just fucking everybody. We have her, <laughs> well, and I mean that in a literal sense as well. We have her, first of all, do this to, you know, she's screwing with Jude here, and in the next scene, she she rapes the Monsignor. Yeah. She rapes him. 
I think we can fairly say that Monsignor himself was not was not entirely faultless in this. Um, clearly, he had some um, built up feelings that he had not been able to express up until this time. He regrets it. He regrets it. He's not of happy course. about it. And in he fact, did not want it. And we see how that manifests itself later on. Right. But he participates. And as she says, his body betrays him. Kind of a right. gross and awkward scene there. Right. It was really gross. I, uh, before we go into what she actually says, because it's one, probably one of the biggest quotes of this episode. I, I, I do think that he, oh God, it was very, I, I don't know. Uh, okay. I don't want to say this. Okay. You continue on. Another thing I just want to note is obviously we see Arden watching and this, even though he knows this is a demon, somehow it breaks him, you know, and just to follow the Arden storyline for a second, it breaks him completely. And just to follow the storyline for a second, we see him and Eunice kind of out in the snow. So we know it's winter now and he's going to go out and feed the raspers. And, um, he's clearly upset with her because she had sex with the Monsignor. And he shoots all the raspers, and he's ending his experiment. I mean, what did you feel like he was trying to demonstrate here? Was he trying to make a show to Eunice, or what does this say about all we know about Arden up until this point? Well, she she definitely, you know, after he started doing that, she's like, you know, lost respect for him, and maybe lost a purpose for him. But, you know, after that happened, I feel like she didn't even need it. She didn't have a purpose for him. But she just felt like he could have helped her out. Well, I guess that would be a purpose. But she realized that he is not the person that she needed him to be for the situation that she wanted. Which seemed not as, you know, okay. You and I thought that he would have, or she had this whole uh, plan about what he, how he would serve her plan and what her master plan would be, right? Mm-hmm. When he started doing that, she was easily like, like, you know, after he started doing that and almost killed himself or wanted to kill himself, she was like, all right, well, I don't respect you anymore. So whatever. And moved on. Like I thought she would either killed him or something like that. But so clearly he didn't have a bigger purpose. She was just part of his game, part of her game. Absolutely. And I would contend that she never respected him in the first place. He was just another pawn in her game. She was just manipulating him when he had the power. She was using him to get to Jude, you know, back when he came to her and pretended to confess and get Jude to come help. And, you know, kill Eunice in the office or whatever like that. She was just using Yarden as another pawn, and he thought that he was somehow, by by following her right. bidding, even though she was some sort of weird demon, that he was somehow right. still going to get her in the end. And it was some sort of awakening when he saw her and the Monsignor together. And right. He, you're How right. did you feel... I wanted to ask you this about, though. How did you feel about him killing um, the Raspers? I felt like he was giving up on everything. It was kind of like... You know, he he had been such a strong personality. Like, his experiments had kind of defined him up until this point, you know? It, it, that had sure. been how we had, you know, would, would have thought of, Dar- of, of Arden. But I kind of feel like what we realize here is that his passion for purity, this, this fetish for purity... Passion for purity is the perfect way to put it. ...was so overpowering, it overtook all of his other... <laughs> I mean, maybe that was what was driving all these other things. You know, maybe that was what was driving his experiments with the Raspers. And when that kind of shattered his reality, nothing fit together anymore. You know what I mean? 
he the raspers didn't matter anymore. He shoots the raspers. He tries to kill himself. One thing of interesting, or I would like to note, is that he shot all the raspers with a Luger, which is the, the right. The trademark gun of the Nazis, so much so that when soldiers were um, fighting the Nazis in World War II, you know, American and British soldiers, it was considered a souvenir to get a German Luger and bring it back home. It was considered like getting a token from these Nazis. And so this is kind of a uh, just another, you know, little salute thrown in by the creators of the show to kind of acknowledge his Nazi background, I guess. But a very intense scene. Yeah, it totally was. I, I, I did feel that it was also, I, I was pretty shocked about how good of a shot he was, and I got a lot of Walking Dead flashbacks. <laughs> I was like, oh man, this guy would be great with Rick. <laughs> a, a good shot, and the whole scene, though, very melodramatic. You know, he even ends it with, what does he say? I think it's Italian. He says, um, Finete la commedia, which which means the end of the comedy you know he says it's all a farce like his his life is all some gigantic ironic comedy kind of thing and it's all coming to an end now and look at you like like googling or looking up what that means damn you well i didn't look it up so let's hope that's right but very (laughs) very melodramatic very unlike arden to kind of be the sentimental character and i think it just goes to further part it goes further. I mean, it further demonstrates him falling apart. It further demonstrates his adherence to this doctrine of purity that all of a sudden was shattered in his eyes and kind of just and ultimately destroyed him. Right. Right. Did you think there was only five um, <laughs> raspers? Yeah. What the hell? I mean, where? <laughs> what happened to the other raspers? I think we can all wonder that. And um, also, Shelley. Poor Shelly, and I think doesn't Sister Eunice basically infer that um, it was the Monsignor that killed? Yeah, she does not infer. She straight she, up, she straight up calls says him out. the Monsignor yeah. killed Shelly with his rosary, which was. Yep. I mean, yes, very much against Catholic doctrine. So he's already going against Catholic doctrine, but definitely doing her a favor because she was clearly in pain and in a horrible situation. Yeah. Um, anyway, very intense scene. We learn a lot about Arden here. Um, but before, okay, before we follow that up, we kind of, we have to address the best scene in this season. What am I talking to? Okay. So before we go into this, let's, I really want to like lead up into this because we're, we're back in the common room area, right? And, and then Jude has just been like fried her brains, right? Not just not just the regular electroshock therapy. They turned it up to eleven here. She has been fried out of and her. And by brain. they, Absolutely. you mean Eunice cranked it up like she was like you know. And then and Jude, while she's squir- squirming around like screaming about this, like she's like, like I don't remember. Uh, this is bad. I should know this for our listeners, but I believe she was like kind of conflicted about the fact about how this is a inhumane uh way of dealing with something like you see jude coming to terms with realizing that this is not not humane at all this is pretty effed up well let's i mean keep in mind jude is the one who pretty much lana administered the the electroshock to lana back in the day exactly anyway so we see jude go back to the um common room and she is just like couch potato fried brain 
like looks like everyone I went to college with on the couch. And what does she do? She gets up, she goes to the jukebox, she starts hitting it, right? She hits it. She goes, boom, boom, boom. She, snap, she tries to unplug it. She's yeah. trying to destroy that Atlanta thing. walks up to her. Atlanta goes, what are you doing? And she looks like whatever. Like Jude looks like a mess. And then Jude goes, huh? And Atlanta goes like, do you even know your name? And you, your name is Judy. And, and Lana goes, I'm Lana. Lana Banana? And then the best part of the damn show happens. Where the hell did this come from? This, this, I mean, hallucinated uh, post um, therapy, electrotherapy portion of the of the show was the best part of this episode slash probably of the whole series uh, season no probably this was the best scene of the entire season it was so bizarre <laughs> and up uh, and comedic and okay so the singer's name is is uh sherry ellis and she sings the song the name game and we all know the name game we've all done it as children i would encourage you to all go re-watch it on our facebook page chris posted earlier today and it's it is so just funny as watching it over again as it was watching it the first time it is time. the best oh my god it's so great jude is all of a sudden dressed like she was back when she was in her glory singer days she is dancing she is singing she is moving and grooving what the fuck do you make of this scene? <laughs> I mean, she's got all the stereotypical stuff. She's got the big hair. She's got the, you know, matching costume. Everything's the same color. It was very period appropriate. Dusty Springfield. That's who I'm thinking of. Did not remember. Anyway. Okay. So a few things. Let's talk about this real quick. This scene, the sequence, let's talk about cinematography wise. All of a sudden, colors are popping. Everyone's in costume. And what happens she starts singing, so we think we're in. Um, we think we're in Jude's uh, uh, hallucination, which we are. And then we, but then she looks at Lana, and Lana's like, eh, "Whatevs, like this is really weird. What are you doing?" But then all of a sudden, Lana gets like a little shoulder pop or something, and all of a sudden, then she like is joining in, and and Kit, she's feeling the music. I she's love it. Yeah. And then Kit's and the killer and then Kit, like, and then the, Kit what does too, and Kit's like playing the badass. Yeah. you know, he's yeah. like involved at first, and then and then all of a sudden Kit's shoulders popping, and then all of a sudden they're all dancing together and doing this whole thing. It was the best, like fun relief that this show really needed in this in this season because it's been so damn depressing, um, so depressing and so bizarre and so appropriate for this insane asylum and it's kind of like this is how i saw the scene and we kind of see it later as she's as jude is memorizing the names of all the people in the yes! asylum and it's kind of like yeah. she's finally connecting with this place as a you know she was as as a nun she was so distanced from it she didn't know anyone's names it was just this institution that people were processed through it. everyone was a number and now she's understanding it by being a pawn in the system and She's, it's like, it's almost like she's infusing emotion into Briarcliff. You know what I mean? It was amazing. It was so fun and just that, 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 uh, you know, respite that we needed. Um, I do want to read, uh, two things. One is one of my favorite, uh, websites that I do read is D blogs that I do read is delisted.com. 
because it's so funny. And this guy, Michael K., uh, wrote, On FX last night, American Horror Story Asylum got electroshock therapy, and for a few hazy minutes there, it thought it was an episode of Glee. Which is hilarious because Ryan Murphy does Glee, right? Mm. Jessica Lange made it rain Emmys when she got all Dusty Springfield and Anne Margaret while singing the name game. I really hope this means that there will be a Glee slash American Horror Story crossover episode. <laughs> because I really want to see Pepper and the Glee Club from Briarcliff Mental Institution snatch away the Nationals trophy from the New Directions. <laughs> <laughs> season three i'm season right three now. that crossover episode would be ridiculous anyway i find, I find that, that be... michael k is hilarious so i find that funny very insightful very hilarious and just a set, what a great scene and it's almost i mean it is okay let's it is in jude's mind so she's not actually doing it but in the same way it's like she's using the jukebox to she's using Eunice's tool back to fight against her. You know, right. it's 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 a re- reversal. It's I don't know. It, it, there's a lot of stuff going on here. It's a really great scene. In my for my money, the best scene of the show. So absolutely. Far. But yeah, so the point of it, why it makes it so good though, like t- talking from a story arc point of view. If you and me are journalists. We know what this means. But it, it, I don't know. It just it, it just alleviated some like like. Uh, the heavy weight that we've been having to feel with like the what Jude and Lana specifically have had to deal with. I mean, they've had to go through some shit and this was finally like, I mean, even though it's hallucinated, it was kind of a fun, it, it, it was a weird comedic relief thing. I, I mean, I don't even know how to explain it, but it it did not feel out of place to me. It felt perfect. Exactly. That's the thing. It It worked. It worked. I don't know. And I, I was not expecting it. That's my, probably why it made it work. But it wasn't like ridiculous either. It was fun. It was like fun. I said, like the entire time I was watching this, I had a smile on my face. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, so go anyway, go moving on. Go watch it again. On. Go enjoy <laughs> it again. Now moving on. Um, we get a scene with the Monsignor, and he it's him and Jude in the bread molding room. We've seen a lot of molding bread. We've talked about this before, whether that's supposed to be molding minds or molding spirits or what that exactly means. But we have this very, uh, almost sensual scene where him and Jude, the Monsignor and Jude are molding bread together. And he apologizes, apologizes to her and says that she's the only one in the whole institution that has this gift of moral clarity. And he tells her about how he's pretty much raped by Eunice (laughs) <laughs> and he's coming to her for counsel. He doesn't know whether he should. Which we didn't talk about the fact that she called it a warm, wet hug. That was oh so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, it was awkward. It was not hot. It was, but it was awkward. Not hot. Um, but he comes to her and he says he doesn't know whether he wants to quit the church. He doesn't know whether he should. I don't know, Tyler. You look like you thought it was hot. You look like you thought it was hot. You're getting a little flushed right now. I'm a little flushed. It was, it, well, let's be honest. It was a little bit of dramatic, unexpected scene. There was a lot going on there. It's, it's, it's easy. I mean, you can't help but get the blood flowing a little bit. But let's just go ahead and say <laughs> that uh, they're clearly not a couple made in heaven. Um, or hell. Or hell. Um, 
The Monsignor tried to exercise her. It did not work. They had this very awkward sex scene, and he confesses it to Jude. And Jude, by this point, we know, is just burnt out. She's just like... She has been crushed and distilled to this man that girl keeps this, going dark, d- darker and deeper right like lana's kind of like coming up a little bit but jude is just getting f but you know what it's making her such a stronger harder person and what does he what does she say when he says what should i do and he's whiny and he's such a bitch and she you know she is the tough ass who said what does she say to him when he says what should i do he says she says kill her she says you need to kill her oh yeah like she can't, she can't like get any words out. But the word she can get is like, kill her, kill her. That's all. That's all she can say. How badass is that? Um, that's amazing. <sighs> She's awesome. I I talked to my sister earlier today, and I asked her, I was like, "Listen, Lainey, who are you run? Who are you rooting for? Like, who are the characters that you really want to get make out out of here?" She's like, "Honestly, Lana and Jude. Lana and Jude are her heroines." Jessica Lange deserves so much credit because I love her so much after this episode. I don't even know what to say. I agree. But she is so great. And before, I mean, I just want to continue on this storyline for a second and say, you know, she tells the Monsignor he has to kill her. He's in his room praying and Eunice enters and basically says the prayer with him. (laughs) And she is just mocking him and calling him weak and like going through all the possible ways he could kill her. And that's when we learn the thing about him killing Shelly with a rosary. But she she tells him how she's trying to appeal to his sense of of ambition, and she wants to take him and and rise to the top and make him pope, and she's going to be his right hand hand or his his right hand, and she's going to infiltrate the church. The devil's going to infiltrate the church and everything. But what does he do? He they have this scene where she pins him against the wall, and he's trying to get her to attempt to kill the you know he says. You can't even kill the last remains of the real Sister Eunice, the innocent Sister Eunice. And we and see... And she comes through. Very incredibly well acted by Lily Rabe. God, Lily Rabe's great in this. I, I, I'm shocked that she's not gotten her nominations for this because she's incredible. A weird moment of schizophrenia here where she's playing both characters at the same time and jumping back and forth. And the ultimate end comes when... It's crazy because it's not like he forcefully has to push her over the the fifth floor, but he tosses her over like she wanted it because that was that was the sister Eunice that was like, I know it needs to be done. And that was heartbreaking to me. And then the cinematography of her falling was just so beautiful. It was it was so beautiful. Yeah. And you see her face. You, but, but, I mean, slow motion all until the like, funk oh, at the bottom God, of the stairs. I, I don't want her to die. You know, I want her to. I want Lily, or I want uh, Eunice, the real Eunice to survive. And then she hits it, the floor. Yeah. So you, I think you make a good point here. Interest. I want to ask your opinion on this. When she's falling, and you see her face, and you see the emotion in that face. Is that Devil Sister Eunice, or is that Real Sister Eunice coming through again? Knowing how it ends in the end, I, I do feel that it, it was actually Eunice. Like, just accepting and knowing what's about to happen, and knowing that that is, needs to happen. I agree with you, too. I think it is the Real Sister Eunice. I think this was her moment to shine, where she was able to push her innocence to the front again, and basically ask to be killed. And she made it possible, because otherwise, you know, the de- Demon Sister Eunice would not have... I mean, she would. Yeah. I mean, that was way too easy. 
by the inner sister units made it possible f- to be thrown off the stairs, and she's the one she fought through to allow herself to get flung over the 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 balcony. And she's the one we see, I think, as we fall. And I think it's only appropriate that someone fell down these stairs because we've been doing these long zooms <laughs> up the stairs for so long since the beginning of the first episode where we have this really dramatic spiral staircase. It's, I mean, it, it, this staircase was begging for someone to be thrown off of it, let's be honest. Very good point. Yes, I agree. And so it's about time we followed someone slowly to the bottom where they crushed it, into the floor and had Francis Conroy, the angel of death, come and take both of them away. Just props to Lily Rabe for a great character. I think that Lily she's Rabe, gone you now. Yeah, I agree, and I think it's time to move on to different plot points, like in the in the ep- in in the progression of American Horror Story now. But her episodes were so good and made it so interesting. She she was such a ridiculous X Factor teenage, you know, volatile demon thing. It was just stirring the pot. I loved it. It was great. It was great. It was really great. Um, and follow, following this all the way to the end, they're talking about what to do with Eunice's body. Arden says he wants to cremate it, even though that's against Catholic standards. The Monsignor condones it because Arden says all of her cells are corrupted. The weird scene is when Monsignor tells this story about how some saint had the smell of, her corpse had the smell of roses. Mm-hmm. And, Arden, and Arden asks what the body smells like and you know, the Monsignor says nothing but decay, and I think that's just kind of reiterating that all the innocence is gone from the dead body, that there's no trace of of the original Sister Eunice left. Um, once she's dead, she's dead, and, you know, a body doesn't have innocence or evil in it. It's just a body, you know? But that doesn't matter to Arden, because no. what does he do? He wants to cremate her, and then he chooses to go with her, because he... Like he, like his his passion with her innocence is gone, so he he sees no uh, uh, point in life left. So dark and disturbing. What a terrible way to die. We just lost. You? I agree. I I do agree with that. But we also just lost two of our villains, and we have three episodes left. That's what I was like. Whoa, we're doing this right now. This is crazy. I know we lost our two. Kind of. I mean. We two of our three villains, and we have one left. And I, I have a theory about this, but let's kind of hold on to the end here. So we lose Arden, and we lose Eunice, both at the same time. So we lost Arden, and I, I, it's either also ironic slash poetic, but he dies by going into a a furnace to burn as a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Tell me about uh-huh. that. I think uh, poetic justice. I think you're absolutely right. I think that that was very intentional. And, you know, all he talked about was eugenics all the way through, and now he's burning in a furnace, you know? It's, it, irony is the key word of the day. And hats off to James Cromwell. I think he was a great character in this show. He, he was, he was a, he was a terrible villain, but at the same time, you, you managed to feel bad for him at certain points. I mean. Exactly. He was great. I think. He was he was a really good character, and you know, hats off to both of them. They'll certainly be missed, but I I can't wait to see what's up next. Right, um, three episodes which will, left, which I think will center around, around two plot lines: aliens and Threadson. Bam, bam. Yes. So, 
that's what we have left. I agree. That's so let's it. talk about our buddy Threads in here for a minute. He's entering Arden's office looking for sodium pentothal, which is a anesthetic that is typically the first drug used when um, administering a lethal injection. So I don't know who he's planning on killing, but I assume he's planning on killing somebody. Maybe Kit. I don't know. Um, maybe Kit because we know he's gonna keep around Lana because baby's in the <laughs> baby's bacon. He's got to keep that around. Um, yeah. But he enters Arden's office and hears Grace. And what a weird moment when Pepper pops up out of Grace <laughs> from Grace's out crotch. of her crotch. Says, I love it. Says baby's crowning. <laughs> <laughs> that was weird and bizarre. The baby's crowding. Yeah. Grace is giving birth to the baby. What What is with this child, and what is it? Do you have any uh, ideas? Any guesses about so, what So, right, this scene segues into Threadson takes Kit and she brings him into Grace, and Grace has the baby, and it looks like a normal baby. And they say it's Kit's son. Um, but we know the aliens have been tampering with this. That's the only reason that Kit, you know Grace is still alive right now. And so... Exactly. I don't know what this comes down. My the only thing I can even begin to suggest is that back what, last episode or two episodes ago, I don't remember which, Arden says that the aliens were, he thought, experimenting with eugenics. That would lead me to believe that the aliens themselves are not implanting aliens in anybody, but are trying to somehow create the perfect human, like super Nazis, which sounds scary. Exactly, and so they were were somehow somehow Kit fits into the perfect human equation, and you know we don't know what they did to this baby, but they were tampering it somehow. But I believe that it's Kit's child. I don't know whether Grace is just a carrier for it or whether she actually contributed. I mean, we also know Alma was pregnant too, and so but she was black, so we don't know. But she was still alive, so what? I mean, what's going? We don't really know what's going. Right, we have no idea. But basically, um, Kit is a son, and I mean, are we going to see another demon baby? I don't know. It'll be interesting that, to see. That's the thing. And I did think, I, I was confused earlier when um, the Monsignor, who we found out his name was Timothy, um, when he hooked up with um, Eunice. Eunice. If, there were, if that was another baby happening in this world, but obviously I, we know that she died, so... But one thing we didn't talk about real quick, sorry, to bring this back again. Um, when the angel of death came to take away uh, Eunice, like the real Eunice, she mm. said, I'm going to take away both of you. And I was like, oh, snap. The de- or the angel of death can take away the satanic demon and Eunice as well? That was interesting to me. I thought that was I th- pretty kind of crazy. I thought about that too, that the angel of death didn't take that opportunity to be like, uh, screw you! You're not going to heaven. You're gonna stay. You're gonna suffer in purgatory or hell or wherever else you're going. Right. But no. Well, sh- I thought that I thought that demon would go jump into someone else. But I'm kind of glad it didn't because that's very cliche. But anyway, I don't know. I I thought that was interesting that that Francis Conroy could take away, you know, both those people in that body. Anyway, moving on. Back okay. to Grace and the baby. I agree. I agree. Um, but so Kit obviously has this hero complex and he thus reveals to Threadson where the tape is so that he doesn't hurt the baby and Grace, even though I'm pretty sure the aliens wouldn't have let Threadson even if he wanted to do something to him. Um, 
So, he's, but he's already made a pact with, or hooked, like had a deal with Alan, um, our girl Lana. And so, threats and runs under, and pulls out the book, and it's run what run spot run right that kid's yeah. book. And I love the line that Lana said when he pulled it out. She was like, Don't, "Say it." Don't want to ruin it. Don't want to ruin it for you, but spot jumps or something like that. Yeah, it was so tight. Lana is becoming the best character ever because man, that girl's gone through. But she she is amazing. Like she is she is. I love Lana. I, I that's the one girl I want to make it out of this. I mean, I love Jude and I love, but I know that there's going to be sacrifice sacrifices along the way. But Lana is absolutely the one that has earned her place to get out of this hellhole. I agree, and and that's what we see kind of come to fruition in the end when Jude is trying to, you know, memorize all the patients' names and kind of atone to the things she did when she was the headmaster or whatever, Briarcliff. And then the mother comes in, and we kind of think that Jude is crazy for a minute. She goes on and says stuff about she's going to be, you know, that the Monsignor is going to be Pope, and they're going to get married in the church, and she says, ravish me red, and kind of all this stuff. She, I mean, she seems very crazy, but then she kind of gets, gains coherence for a second and says... That Lana doesn't belong there, that she put her there, and that the mo- this mother yeah. superior needs to get Lana out of there. She's like, that one smoking the cigarette over there, she doesn't belong here. And it, and I think I in, the, in, in the preview, it seems like that the mother follows through, and we're going to get an interesting plot line there. Yep. But before we talk about our next preview, let's finish by summing up this episode. I, I think we've kind of hinted at it before. Uh, what, yep. what can you say about this episode to sum it up in the end? What can you rate it? It was just okay. Well, I, before I rate it, I will say this has been the most fun time I've had with American Horror Story with a series like this, which has been a shit show all over the place. We have aliens, we've got um, demons, we've got uh, Catholicism, we have ghosts, we've got zombies, like everything hitting the wall, seeing what happens, whatever. This is the one episode that, like, kind of just. It makes sense, but I had a fun time with that, and that's what I look for in a horror story, and something that's scary but also fun. So I would give this a out of five rubber men. I would give this a four point five. This has been my best, most fun episode of the season, and I just had a great time watching it, and I loved it. I am going to do you one better, and I've given four point. I've given a four point five before. I think it was for I and Frank Part Two, which I loved, and I think that this episode is deserving of it. I think the name game was the best scene that we have seen in an episode of American Horror Story so far. Whoa! I'm going to give it a perfect score. I'm going to give it five out of five Rubbermen. I think it was. Wow. I think it was fantastic. This episode had so much loaded into it, and it flowed together so well. Hats off. I mean. Good, good. It was just stuff. fun, right? It was so much fun. It was so much fun. I loved it. I loved it. Um, and I think we Excellent. can both agree on that. So let's talk yes. about a couple things. Just real briefly. Next, you know, briefly. up next episode. What are some of the stuff we saw? Um, we're going back to BF Junior, which of course is 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 Johnny Boyd, Bloody Face Junior, um, apparently trying to seduce some other woman and kill her. I don't know. What, right. I don't know what we're still doing in the modern day, and what more we're going to learn from that, really. I know. Spoiler alert! I did read in an interview that the opening scene for next episode is going to be probably the most graphic and disturbing uh, scene that we've seen in any of the American Horror Story scenes. So be Ooh. forewarned. Uh, and the episode is also called "Spilled Milk." <laughs> oh my God! Well, we might see some live skinning going on here. Um, yeah. Well, that will be gruesome. I have no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, 
We'll see where we're going with that. Um, really interesting stuff with Lana. It appears that Mother Superior helps her get away and threads and tracks her down. So that'll be kind of fun to see that'll what's be, going on yeah. there. And my other only question in this, uh, what happens from going now with Eunice dead and um, Arden dead, who's in charge now? Like who's running Briarcliff? You know? I, I guess the Monsignor is still some some must somehow oh, be you're in right, charge, you're right? You're right? right. But Probably, I, yeah. our bad guys now are definitely Threadson, and I so I think we'll focus on him more clearly. And I think we're going to learn a lot more about what the aliens' role is in this whole thing. I think it's about time we did too. So I think that the aliens are going to kind of be the climax of the show. Aliens and Bloody Face, kind of where we started. I mean, we didn't know the demon was going to come into it, and yeah, we got three mm-hmm. episodes left. So yeah, you're right. That's it. That's all we have left to like solve. I don't know. Do you feel you've had resolution with um, the? the I feel like Eunice did, and I I do feel like Arden did too. I feel like the purity thing was what was driving him from the beginning, and it was a very poetic ending for him to be burned in the incinerator. I feel like we have a little bit to go with the whole bloody face story. I feel like something in the modern day has to. There has to be some twist in the modern day with Dylan McDermott to justify that whole modern day storyline. And so I hope they have something interesting planned for that. I'm excited to see what the dynamic will be between Threadson and, and and Lana and kind of how that child uh, goes on. I wonder if they will both die or what exactly will happen that that child gets raised the way it does. Um, and these aliens, I think it's about time, and I'm excited to know what's going on there. I'm excited to know what their plans are. Yeah. I'm ready for another dance sequence. That was pretty fun. That was just... The lightheartedness we needed. <laughs> I, I'm I'm gunning for a musical episode. I think that would be great. Maybe I think that crossover is a great idea. Season three. Let's hold out for it. We're good. <laughs> okay. Anyway. All right. <laughs> Okay, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us. I think this episode was a lot of fun to talk about, and of course, we're excited to talk to you more about it next week. Um, thanks for joining us once again. As always. You can email us your questions and comments at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. We really encourage you to go to our um, feed on iTunes and leave us a comment and give us a rating. That uh, means a lot to us. Um, You can always visit our website at thisamericanhorrorstory.com. And you can like us on Facebook at This American Horror Story Podcast. Um, Thank you. I'm speechless. I'm spent. It was a great episode. Can't wait to talk to you guys next week. This is Tyler Moss signing off. You can find me at TJ Moss11 on Twitter. Chris, where can people find you? This is Chris Bobris, Banana Fana Bobris, Me Mama Mris, at Chris Houston. With a K. With a K. That's right, <laughs> people. All right, everybody. Happy hauntings. Bye. Have a good night. Make a ride.